Hello, 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 everybody, friends and family of adoptees, adoptees especially. I am your host of this episode of The Rambler, Mike McDonald. You already knew that. You knew that. I just wanted to welcome everybody and change up the order a bit. Change up the order a bit. Happy Happy May. Happy May, May Day, May Month. It is uh, May 14th as I'm recording and releasing this episode, which means you're halfway through the month of May. Welcome to spring, everybody. I hope you have your allergy medications ready because it's coming at you fast and furious. I don't have a, a handle on it. I don't. It's terrible. I hate spring. I already mentioned in the last episode, it's gotten worse. The pollen is now covering my car in a thick yellow sheet of snot, of future snot, it's disgusting, but that's neither here nor there. This weekend, uh, I was pretty busy. I had a pretty busy month this month, this past month. How was your month? I hope it was good, whatever you did, getting ready for spring. The hours are getting longer. It's heading steadily towards summer, which I'm excited for. Uh, and I, I hope you guys are having a good time, enjoying the weather. It's going to be it went from 50 degrees this week. It's going to be 90 degrees this week uh, in New York, which is insanity. That it can swing so wildly, 40 degrees in a week. But hey, I guess that's the uh, that's the age we live in now with climate change and things. Anyways, uh, uh, what happened this past month? Let me think. Uh, I, I half saw the musical Dear Evan Hansen on Broadway. I wish I fully saw it, but it took me an hour and a half to go 40 blocks in New York City with traffic. And uh, I missed act one of this Broadway show that I was meant to see with uh, my wife, Anne. So I I, I went to a bar instead and listened to the first act on iTunes (laughs) of of the soundtrack while she watched it live in person because she paid money to do that. And then I act two'd it. I went went there for act two and watched it with her in person. It was great. It was fantastic. I was very happy I went. I'm I'm very upset I didn't get to see the first half. But what what are you going to do? What are you going to do? I don't know. There's nothing you can do about traffic. I, I was, what I should have done was just taking the train from like Union Square up, up to uh, uh, the theater district, but I didn't do it. So, so anybody in New York, uh, if you're coming to New York or whatever to go see something or do something, just don't drive or take an Uber or whatever. If you're on a time crunch, plan ahead and take a train. Yes, trains have delays. But they're not as bad as traffic most of the time. I guarantee it. It's terrible. It's the worst. Uh, This past weekend, I did the craziest thing that I could think of doing uh, in in a weekend. Oh, you know what? First of all, I also want to say today, Sunday, May 14th, Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. I'm sorry. That wasn't really the first thing, but we're three minutes into this now. But I want to say Happy Mother's Day. Happy birthday to my mom. Thank you for uh, raising me and being a great mother. I know it's been frustrating. I'm not the easiest person to raise. You guys should get a feel and a sense for that by now. If you haven't listened to the show, you can listen to the show. All the episodes are up on iTunes and Google Play and stuff. But you should know I, uh, I'm very high energy. I don't know if you have uh, garnered that if you haven't listened, if you're a new listener, if you've garnered the fact that I'm a high energy person and an extrovert. And I, I, as a child, it, w- it was worse, I'm sure. It was terrible. So thanks, Mom, for putting up with me and, and raising me right. I know it was probably terribly frustrating, but you did it. You got through it. Good job, Mom. Thank you. And thanks to all the other moms out there who are doing amazing jobs. 
uh, raising their kids. And, 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 you know, if, uh, there, there are many, uh, other adoptees out there who, uh, may have had varied experiences. Your mileage may vary with regards to your mother as everybody, as all of our experiences go. But, uh, I, I lucked out and had a very good adoptive mother who, uh, did the best, uh, that she could with what she had, including me, which, uh, may have been frustrating. I don't know. So thanks, Mom. Uh, if you listen to this, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. I, I promise your gift. I will get in contact with the company. I, I think it's on the way. Uh, if it's not, then they will have hell to pay. And uh, pay they will because I already Apple paid it. So uh, they have my money. And hopefully you will have your gift soon. In any case, uh, what else? What else? I ran a Ragnar this past weekend. Do you guys know what a Ragnar is? A Ragnar, if you don't know, if you do know, then you know what I went through. If you don't know, it's like this horrible, horrible race that only uh, sadists would come up with where you and 12 friends if you're a good person and 6 friends if you're a, a masochist race uh, a 200 ish mile race over road or trail there are two uh, flavors of this thing for approximately 24 to 36 hours however long it takes your team to do this 200 mile ish relay race so uh, I did that I did it Uh, each person I ran with a a, uh, 12 person team two people had to drop out for, for varied reasons so it was a 10-person team in total, and we had two ghost runners. But each person runs three legs of varying distances and difficulties. And even though, okay, so uh, if you're a listener of the show, if you're familiar with me, you know I run. I enjoy running. I didn't used to enjoy running, but now I enjoy running. But I used to not want to do something like this, and it's a 200-mile relay race where, you know, as any relay goes, you pass one thing off to another person, they keep running, and it continues. And for this, it goes 200 miles. And so I ran it in Cape Cod is where I did it. And Cape Cod is, is scenic. Mine, all my legs, for some reason, are, were in the backwoodsy areas of Massachusetts that were uh, a little bit frightening. But a lot of people got very good views of the Cape area. And it looked fantastic. I was in the van, uh, you know, looking at the beauty of the cape from the van when I wasn't trying to sleep. Uh, but we'll, we'll discuss more of this this afterwards. But that was kind of the highlight of my weekend and I guess my month, other than missing the first half of Dear Evan Hansen and then seeing the second half of Dear Evan Hansen, which is, which is incredible. Also, The Handmaid's Tale, I want to highlight on Hulu. It's an amazing show. And uh, it, it's timely, I think. And if you're into, uh, if you want to escape the reality that we currently live in and then see the possible future, <laughs> the frightening future, uh, which is disconcerting and is not that far off from reality, you can check it out too. It's live streaming on Hulu right now. They, they released the first three episodes the first week and it's like a new episode now every Wednesday. So you can do that. If you can't get enough of the current world you live in and you want to see something slightly worse, uh, and by slightly I mean a lot bit worse. But that's neither here nor there. There, 
Uh, my guest, my guest this week, haven't even haven't even talked about that, is uh, Robbie Regal. Robbie Regal Kim, you are going to enjoy this episode. He uh, has a very unique experience. I enjoyed this conversation. I went to his place. Uh, it's incredible. He has a very good location of apartment, and he was very accommodating. He even brought fat tire for me to sip on while we conducted this interview. And it wasn't just me. I mean, he was also drinking a fat tire during the conversation. You know, I, I, I have been known to have a drink or two with certain guests of the show to loosen both of us up. And if they're offering, I'm going to probably most likely partake, which I did in this episode. So you can enjoy that uh, now. You can enjoy that now. So please enjoy this conversation uh, that I had with Robbie Regal. Enjoy. So it's funny because, yeah, so I use that music from like SoundCloud, but I I just recently saw this video on YouTube and it had some of the old music I used to because I used like the stock Apple garage band music. And I was like, oh, that used to be my, the song for my podcast. But then I'm like, oh yeah, because they must have used like Apple for editing. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, man. Thanks for the, uh, the fat tires. Robbie and I drinking fat tires over here. <laughs> what area of New York is this? Uh, Washington Heights. Washington Heights. I was like, I don't think this is, uh, this is not Harlem. I think we're out of Harlem. No, I think Harlem's... Where does Harlem stop and Washington Heights begin? 145th, maybe? 145th? This is like the, I've heard where like most people, like people, it varies, but I think like 145th to 150th is like... Mm. Washington Heights sort of officially begins. Nice. Um, this is a nice place, man. Thank you. Little third floor walk up, pretty sweet. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, yeah, so just yeah, walk up, no elevator. You, uh, I see you sporting a lot of the, the New York stuff. Did you grow up here? Uh, I did not grow up here. Uh, I grew up in Minnesota. In Minnesota? So, Northern Minnesota, to be exact. Which part of northern Minnesota? Uh, Duluth. Duluth. You know Duluth. I do know Duluth. Duluth. Really? I've yeah. never, I've never, so I've never been to Duluth, right? Okay. Oh, the sounds of New York. You can hear the sounds of New York. Yes. Uh, so I've never been to Duluth, but I know I only know Duluth uh, by like the Duluth Trading Company. Okay. Okay. Yes. <clears throat> and their commercials. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you yeah. grew up there. Yes. So yeah. is Duluth Trading Company like really big? Um, I don't. Know. You know, <laughs> I don't really know. Yeah, but yeah, I grew up there. I mean, eighty four. I was adopted in eighty four. Okay. Both. And at what age were you adopted? Super young. Little after two, so it was like okay, two years or two months. About. So you were born in like eighty two. Yes, eighty two. In which part of Korea were you born in? Youngju, um, which is in. Okay. Uh, province. <laughs> uh, Is that like centralized north region. of Seoul? Centralized region. Central? Yeah, so I think it's maybe two, three hours, something like train. Oh, by train. Yeah, or bus or whatever, travel. But it, it, it's, it's centralized. Okay. I'm not really familiar with the geography up there. I'm getting more familiar now as... Um, as time has I passed. Haven't been, I haven't been back. Okay. Years. So, like, now as I'm 
kind of trying to, you know, hopefully plan a trip there, then I'm starting to become mm-hmm. more of aware of... Have um, you, like, Google Earthed it? Uh, no, I haven't Google Earthed that, but I, I, will, I will have to do that. I just, you know, um, you know, looked at maps and things, but... Mm-hmm. So at two, you were adopted to uh, Duluth, Minnesota. Yes. Do you have any early memories of Korea before uh, coming over? I do not. No? Uh, apparently, I, you know, I spoke a few words. Oh, yeah? But I your parents know didn't know what they, they meant, right? Um, no. I, but they, they ended up telling me what, that I spoke a few words. That's what I, you know, so mm-hmm. like, I don't know if it was on my paperwork or something. Like, from my agency, like, uh, my paperwork from my foster mom or something, you know, yeah. or my caseworker over there, whatever, mm-hmm. like, they might just, I think they specified, like, what I was saying, like, bathroom and, you know, uh, uh, yeah. you know, appa and, you know, mm-hmm. dad, um, but I only knew a couple of relatives, only two, so. Yeah. So, Duluth, Minnesota. Yes. <laughs> snowy, cold Duluth. Uh, yeah, very snowy and cold. Um, yeah. How how was it growing up in Duluth? Mm-hmm. So it was. I, I, would, I would guess it's um, pretty um, typical. Um, town for adoptees <laughs> adopted into it was, you know the surrounding area is about a hundred thousand um mm-hmm. i mean it's, it wasn't small small but like it's um it had some semblance of a city um, yeah it's pretty big yeah um there was um I, I definitely lived on the part of town that was even um more white that's okay to say. Um, like, I, I lived in the kind of the fluent part of town. There's West Duluth and there's East Duluth. Uh-huh. And East there was like a divide. East Duluth, yeah, is the kind of the fluent part of the town where... Mm-hmm. Um, there's two parts of East Duluth. There's the one where they're kind of like the private sector professionals that were really affluent. And like then they like white of, collar? Y- yeah, well, they, like in my neighborhood there was, you know, like... Um, like the chief of police, the uh, mayor, yeah. like the the people that are employed by the city. Mm-hmm. So like it's you know like upper middle class. They're doing all right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, but yeah, that was that was um, part of Duluth that I grew up in. So it was pretty. Um, you know, I played sports, played soccer, baseball. Mm-hmm. You know, just pretty. Uh, Pretty, pretty standard. And uh, what your folks do? Not the chief of police? Uh, no, they they taught at the university. Oh, so, very nice. Um, the University of Minnesota Duluth. Okay. Like a branch of the University of Minnesota system. The so, Golden Gophers. Yeah, we were the Bulldogs, though. So. Oh, really? Yeah. So, but it was still like the U of M. Yes. Um, like yeah, the U of M system. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, like our rival in hockey was. The menu. We call it the menu. Really? So it's, they made people them... confused, though. That is we confusing. We call it the menu because they, when you say the U, you think of, like, Miami. 
nationally. <laughs> I remember one time yeah, I was in Vegas and I was talking to somebody. He was like, uh, like "Where'd you go to school?" And I was like, "To you," because <laughs> I'm used to talking to people from Minnesota. He's like, "Oh, you went to Miami?" I was like, "No, no." <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, but yeah, the the University of Minnesota Duluth was just a few miles, maybe two miles. You know, we so were, real close. Yeah, we lived real close. What they teach? Uh, statistics and pharmacology. Whoa. Yeah, so my dad taught statistics and my mom taught pharmacology. Cool. That's yeah. very heavy, like, math and science. Yes, math and science. <laughs> <laughs> yes, very, very heavy math and science. Was um, math and science big in the house? Uh, it was. Um, I was actually recently explaining it as... Maybe academic excellence was expected mm-hmm. more than forced in our house. Yeah, they yeah. didn't enforce it as much, but just the environment, like near the bathroom, and there's Scientific American monthly issues in your bathroom, <laughs> like things like that. Like, <laughs> you're just kind of surrounded by it, you know. It's just like part of the environment. The environment is very, you know, when you know your mom is constantly doing, you know, research or. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just it's it's definitely academia is yeah yeah is present in the household. So you're like, did, did you guys have like encyclopedias in the house and stuff? Yeah, yeah, we have encyclopedias. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did yep. you have like Britannica? Which one did you have? Um, like the big series that took up like an entire two bookshelves. I don't think so. Like I, I think it was like just the standard. Series. I, I wanted to even say it was the version before Britannica. Oh, yeah. Like, the one that I remember, so... Do kids even, like, have encyclopedias anymore <laughs> in their house, do you think? I think it's all I online really now. Doubt. Yeah, it's online. You can Google it. They're like, yeah, yeah just Google, Google it. Google. Just yeah. Google it. You don't need... Wikipedia. You have Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah, yeah, You don't need an encyclopedia. You have Wikipedia. Yeah, yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if anybody's ever done, like, a comparative study of the scientific things in Wikipedia versus, like, Encyclopedia Britannica. Yeah. I don't know. They still around? Uh, they are. Um. They still teaching? Or are they, like, retired? My dad is retired. Mm Mm-hmm. I think, oh, I'm still going strong. So, yeah. I think my mom's, yeah. Still doing all right out there in Duluth? Yes. <laughs> They're still out there? Yes. You yeah, ever go, same house. Same, you ever go visit? Same place. Um, I do not. Uh, uh, we communicate um, a little bit via email. Um, uh-huh. We've kind of um, we've had a strange relationship. So. Yeah, that's a common we're, story. Yeah, we're, we're we're in a down we're in a down period right now, but we're working on. You know. Is it usually like holidays and stuff like that? Um, I used to. Um, I I used to. I mean, do the holiday. You know, go home for the holidays. Mm-hmm. Um, I did when I was in college. So we've yeah we've had a we've had a um kind of an up and down relationship. That's pretty normal. Uh, yeah, I, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I've, you know, I've heard other people um, express, like, similar experiences. Yeah. 
What about I do that? always wonder, I guess, if, uh, you know, if we had, you know, access to support and knowledge, you know, maybe like mm. 10 years, you know, so like most of the, most of our experiences happened in the early 90s, mm-hmm. you know, early to mid 90s. And it's like wondering if, you know, 10 years later, if, if it happened 10 years later, um, if, uh, you know, our, our relationship wouldn't have been as frayed or strained. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I mean, I guess to, um, for listeners, I, you know, we, when I was 14, I, um, we, we divorced, basically. So I was displaced from my home. And I went into American foster care when I was 15. What was the uh, the impetus for that? What, what was was there like a, a big blow up event or something, or was it kind of like a slow, um, or maybe a mix of both? I mean, here's what I will say for now: like, there's a very there's definitely a disruption in the household. Um, uh-huh. I haven't figured out how I, I exactly want to explain it yet. Like, yeah. I'm working on it, and I plan on being public with. Um, mm-hmm. My experience, uh, my adoption experience, especially my childhood adoption experience, mm-hmm. because I think there, you know, hope, hopefully there will be something to be, you know, uh, in a community sense, gained from that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but um, in terms of like, there was disruption in the household. I, I I did have two sisters, four years apart, one four years older, one four years younger. Okay, so your middle there child. Was no disruption. Just there was no. Um, there was no issue between me and my sisters, so, mm-hmm. like, we'll just <laughs> get that out of the way. Um, there was, there was never any issue between me and my sisters, but they were, there was definitely a frayed relationship between, uh, my parents and I, mm-hmm. and... Are they also adopted? Oh, no, they were biological, too. Okay. Um, so you're the only adoptee? Yes. Um, and so, like, figuring out, uh, I, it, and, and part of it is you don't, you know, figure out what really was, you know, um, kind of the sources of, you know, um, uh, what was different about it than a lot of other experiences. Because I'm not so sure if, you know, on the outside my home was. It, it, Probably pretty similar, I feel, to, you know, a lot of adoptees. And so, like, what was, I don't know. Could what, be. What was, what was the elements that made it, you know, more of a... Well, it could be a couple element. of different things. It sounds like, you know, I don't want to uh, push anything on you or narrate your oh, no, experience, no, but it sounds like the there weren't a whole lot of resources available to you there in Duluth and your family in terms of adoptees or shared uh, community for adoption out there, was there? Um, no, like, so I do remember attending, so there was a few other Korean adoptees in uh-huh. town. Like there was, it was Minnesota. Yeah. And to do. It's pretty, pretty big of adoptees place. Too, yeah. Adoptees specifically too. Um, like, I will say my next door neighbor was a pretty like, Oh yeah. I'm not gonna. Your age I, or? Uh, younger. Will be younger. Five, six years. Okay. Like that, so. 
It's like a little bit but younger that, than your younger but sister. But what I'm saying is that, just the point is that uh, there was other Korean adapters. Like, there was, they were around. I think, I mean, they, we made of. Trying to remember, just just based on memory, we may have made up like the only people of color in our town, like literally on our side of the town, right? Uh, in East Duluth, because I think there was one other one in my grade school. Mm-hmm. Like I don't remember if she was adopted, but I remember you know, it, it you know an incident with you know Asian girl and you know people like make fun of me, like I can you know say you know with yeah, kids yeah. you know and I don't. Couldn't process it. Right. But I don't like, I, it was probably more likely, unless her parents were like maybe professors at the university, because mm-hmm. that was about it at the time. Um, but I do know like one other Korean nephew that was in our, you know, on the east side of the world. So this sounds like there is a, like maybe a small community of other adoptees around. Oh, yeah, I forgot. Yeah, so we did, my parents did try to get me into a, little um like a, a Korean adoptee class I don't know if it was a gathering of adoptee parents or something like that mm-hmm. I wouldn't even call it a class it was like it's like a club or a group I don't know but I was just like you know uh, this was not for me I was like you know what I'm not it was going into it yeah I was like uh, I'm not doing this I'm gonna go to the baseball field like you, know, <laughs> you, you, you know, have other I, interests I, it was, I was young well, how old were you like, yeah I don't know I don't remember how old I was, but like, I, just I definitely wasn't, things. I was, I was younger than 12, so I mean, I was mm-hmm. probably like maybe 10, mm-hmm. it was probably maybe like 10 or something, 11, when this, so this is really, this is like, you know, 92, 93 maybe, yeah, yeah. and it was probably just a couple of parents from that neighborhood that were like, hey, we all have kids are adopted from Korea and maybe we should let's get together and do stuff I remember them trying to show me a book Mm -hmm. of Korea oh yeah and being like kind of confused by that they were confused by that or you were confused so like I mean I think they tried to um incorporate incorporate like Korean but I don't know if it was I, I, I don't know, like, if it was too young or whatever. But, mm-hmm. like, I, I, you know, we they facilitated, you know, a letter in their voice to my mom mm-hmm. at, at nine. So Your birth mom? Early 92. Um, yeah. And so, in, in their voice, but we can constructed it together. Mm-hmm. Um, As, like, an exercise, or did they send it? No, we sent it. And... She replied, so our agencies found her. So they sent to the agency, the agency yes, found Yes, so Children's Home Society is the main one in uh-huh. Minnesota. Yep. And so we sent it to Children's Home Society, and then they, I was adopted to Eastern Social Welfare Society. Mm-hmm. So then they sent it to Eastern in Korea, Eastern found my mom. Okay. So. And so that's where the relationship via, like, pen pal type system starts with your biological mother yeah it that was that was a one and done though okay uh, yeah um for that so i uh the interactions that i've had with my mom via letter have been we're at 9 23 31 
and now prison. So what the first uh, what the first leather say? You said you said it was kind of in your parents' voice, but you helped shape it. Um, yeah, it was just basically, um, hey, how how are you, Rob's? Ten now? Yeah, uh, nine, nine. Um, he's likes math, he likes sports, plays baseball and soccer. Mm-hmm. Um, how are you? Basically, it was just basically it was pretty simple. You like send um, a picture? Yeah. I think we sent some pictures. I, I, hmm. yeah, no, that's interesting because I might have to ask my mom if she ever, she still has those pictures, but I, I know we did send some pictures. Mm-hmm. Um, and she replied, so. What'd she say? Uh, she said what you, I feel like you'd expect her to say. She just said, um. Um, you know, she thanked my dad's parents for, you know, uh, you know, taking me in and she said, um, I would, you know, she said that she had like good, like she was like the, like the, the letter, like really like. It made her, um, it comforted her to know that I was doing well. And, but she, you know, she requested that, hmm, she requested that, uh, I not see the letter, the re- reply mm-hmm. letter, because she requested that, um, she, she said she couldn't continue contact or, um, keeping up, uh, contact. And so she requested that I not see her return letter. Mm. And I saw it. <laughs> so, <laughs> it sounds like it. Yeah, yeah. So, Wait, did you see it immediately or did you, did you find I, it I later? think it wasn't... Uh, I don't remember exactly when I saw it, but it, it was... Hadn't been too long. It was, so it was like May 92 when she wrote back. And it wasn't too long after that that I... Um, Found it. Yeah, well, I was showing, you know. My, oh, so they showed it yeah, to you? Yeah, my, uh, yeah, my parents showed it to me. So. Uh-huh. How did you react? Um, it's hard to say. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, I know it was, like, I've been asked this question, and I'm still trying to figure out, like, in terms of, my memories, and I'm still trying to get my parents, adopted parents, to give kind of their input about what they remember uh-huh. and things like that. But it definitely this letter um, is something that I keep going back to. That as where the first one. Yeah. Well, this is where made it started to, you know, cause you know disruption. Um, you right. know, some, uh, mistrust, really. Mm. And, you know, like, I guess, in any relationship, it started, you know, developing, uh, you know. Well, what but caused that? Because it sounds like they're so trying so to here, be... You know, it's, just, it, it's like, I don't know how to, I guess, quite... 
Oh, actually, go ahead. What were you going to say? Well, I, I was going to say, so I got, I guess I had two questions. Okay. So f- I guess first, who, whose idea was it to write your birth mother? Was it their idea or was it your idea? So I think it was mine. Mm-hmm. So I don't remember exactly. Um, but I do know that around that time period is when I started having questions about mm-hmm. identity. Around like 9 or 10? Yeah. And probably before that. Like, maybe like 8, eight you know. And so like, I remember this Korean adopted class. I don't remember if this happened after it or before it. Mm-hmm. But I know they showed me, I'm guessing, the memory I have of them showing me a book from Korea mm-hmm. was before that. And I think they were pretty open at that time to like, exploring my Korean identity right. and developing over you know, a relationship with my mom if I so wanted or had questions about it. Uh-huh. I So I still have to do more digging and research, but I'm guessing it was just a little naively done is what it, mm. you know, um, that's what I'm guessing at this moment. <laughs> I, you know, like I'm still, like, digging and trying to figure out and asking people, you know, you know what, what they think. Okay. Um, because I'm still trying to... It, I guess like any... I don't know. This is a pretty sensitive adoption subject for me. And yeah. my family and my sisters. And sure. So trying to figure out how I speak about it publicly. Uh-huh. Or how I talk about it publicly. Mm-hmm. Is what... Because like I, if I had a definitive answer already, I would already say like, you know, this... You know, I mean, I sure. like just caused a huge disruption. You know, this was you know, right, they did right, this. Right. I, We're I, still I don't working know. Like the maybe, you know, maybe the journalist side of me. Like I wouldn't just go for journalism. You know, it's like I want to, um, before, I give, you know, speak about it in, in public ways, and like this is what I you know kind of think. You know, I want to mm-hmm. have. I'm not quite there yet in terms of you know I'm still digging and still trying to get. My parents right. open up a little bit because my mm-hmm. parents are very, they're, they're, they're not, I don't know if it's generational or whatever, they are not the type that speak about their parenting, you know, mm-hmm. from years ago, as in like. I feel like that not, might be a, open a Midwestern thing yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's not open for like discussion, you know. Yeah. And so like, um, but, you my know. My experience in Minnesota is that they don't want to talk about that kind of stuff. goes by whatever, um, that. I'm, you know, um, I'm hoping to, like, get a little bit of their, like, mm-hmm. what they remember. Like, they might have more, maybe they have notes or something like that. Sure. Or, like, you know, exactly timeline-wise. Yeah. All I have is a letter and a few memories, but those memories are from eight, nine, ten years old. Yeah. And, like, I, 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 I trust them, but, like, I don't, I don't know how I was processing it. Mm-hmm. You know, I was, you know. Maybe, I guess, if I was, like, a child, you know, I don't know, a child development expert, I would have a little better understanding of yeah. exactly how I was processing it then. Sure. But I don't know. But I I will say that that is definitely a part of my adoption story, and there's no doubt it had an effect some, some mm-hmm. way or another. Yeah, well, naturally. Yeah. It's, it's got to. Yes. Yes. So when, when did uh, what, you say the next letter was? When I was 23. 23? Yes. So this is like right after college? Uh, yes. So I, I actually did not uh, graduate from college, but 
So you went to U of M, yes. Duluth. Uh, no, the no. main U. The main U. Yes. University of Minnesota Twin Cities. So you w- you were a Golden Gopher. Yes. And not a Bulldog. Yes. <laughs> Why would you want to go to the college where your parents taught? At, <laughs> and of all things, your parents that you had a frayed relationship. At it's the true. Time. I mean, any, anybody. <laughs> like, that would be like I would like. I'd just, like, not go. Yeah. Like, <laughs> well, okay, so let's rewind a little bit. So 14, you kind of have a divorce from your parents. Where did you go after 14? Uh, foster care. Foster care. Yeah. Okay, and you just were there till you were 18? Uh, yes. Um, foster care, uh, so... Yeah, I... Um, so I stayed with family friend for a little bit while the court proceedings were going on. Okay. Um, and then the family court proceedings go on, and I, like, officially entered foster care. I just turned 15. Uh-huh. So it was, like, I think it was December 97? December 97, yeah. So um, I went to a group home. It was on a dairy farm, like, about 40 minutes north of Duluth. North of Duluth, so we're yeah. way north now. So even more northern Minnesota. Yeah. So, like, Duluth is officially northern Minnesota, but mm-hmm. most people, when you talk about northern Minnesota, it was north of Duluth. Okay. You know, but Duluth, people accept Duluth as northern Minnesota, but... Um, well, it's like where I live, people say it's upstate, but it's not really upstate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a half hour north of, like, the GWB. Yeah, yeah, it's not yeah, upstate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, Yeah. I went to a group home for those, like, I think eight or more kids or six more kids. It's one of the two. I think it's eight or more kids. And I think we, maybe six or more kids. The official term, but, like, it was, um, so it was a very dramatic difference in Mm -hmm. um, the home home and neighborhood I grew up in and the home, my adolescence, basically. So, like, way more rural... Yes, it was a dairy farm, so we, there was yeah, 50, yeah. 50, um, I mean, we, we milk cows, there was 50 cows in the, in the home, so we like, we would. You ever, you ever milk a cow before? I never, before then. Until then? Yeah. Yeah. So, that would, yeah, we, part of the, you know, you know, the work on the farm was kind of how you, if you contributed to work on the farm, you know, um. My, you know, my, my foster home was, you know, there's difficulties with it, but it was, mm-hmm. it's, I understood it, and maybe that's why I speak about my foster care experience a little more with clarity than I do about my adoption experience at this point, because I still don't, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I still don't, like, fully understand what happened, you know? And, you know, my foster care experience was pretty, like, straightforward. Like, my foster parents were, um, I guess, in, like, typical foster parents. But they were they were kind of tough country folk, and but they were straightforward. It mm-hmm. was like, you know, you do your work, you stay out of trouble, we'll show you respect. And, you know, um, as foster parents go, it was, um, there could have been worse situations. But, you feel like um, it was good for you? Yes and no. I mean, it it, it, it might have worked out for me. I mean, like, in terms of, like, you know, my, like, it, it might have been, 
don't know. It's difficult to say that foster care is something that worked out for you, you know, um, mm-hmm. especially group home foster care. Like, group home foster care has elements of kind of institutionalization um, because there's so many kids. But um, it's, it, it was definitely something that worked for me in the situation I was. Mm-hmm. Like, I kind of needed that straightforward, um, I want to say lifestyle environment, and I will say to this day, if I had to go back and do my dash experience over, my foster care experience over, I would probably say I would do my foster care experience over 10 times out of 10. Mm-hmm. And that would be extremely rare, because I, I work, I, as in, like, I work, you know, I've through the system a kid and you know I kind of um, work with um, here in the city um, doing some other stuff with um, families with you know children in foster care and, and like I don't th- I think very few people would understand you know th- I, I knew my uh, uh, my foster brothers so would, didn't understand it either like why would you go from this home to this home you know and, you know yeah, yeah. why would you go from that home to this sound. and um, so but for you it made sense mm-hmm. yeah for where I was at the time yeah I was completely um, yeah I was I was in like just kind of that uh, yeah for where I was at the time like it, it, it made it made sense for me it mm-hmm. it, it, it did like I those four years, high school basically, um, foster care, pretty much stayed out of trouble, and I, you know, I got a job. I ended up going to college. Um, mm-hmm. You know, um, it it worked. At the the maybe the structure, like it was a little more structured. Yeah, yeah. The the structure of it, like I'm not saying my, you know, adoptive home didn't have structure, you know, but it was just like structure that made sense a little more. Yeah, yeah. Um, like. It, 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 well, it sounds like you got tasks to do, right? Right. Maybe there wasn't. I I do explain. Maybe there wasn't like illusion of family, maybe um, that I felt or was feeling like mm-hmm. it was just like there was no like um, like you're part of this family. Like I understood it. You just you know that's kind of like what I what I needed at the time. Um, you know, and the, there's difficulty like when you spend Christmas in the barn. You know, while there, there, you know, families, you know, there's difficulties with that too. Right. But like, I, I kind of like, I don't know. It was, I understood it, and coming from a, a situation that I didn't understand, and I didn't get many explanations to, mm-hmm. um, by you know parents or uh, you know, just people, the community. I, I didn't understand a lot of the experiences. Yeah, yeah. And it was frustrating. You know, there's different things like microaggressions that, like, um, I'm not sure we all went through. Um, one of the things that I go back to, too, was I think it was 12, 13, like, I, 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 <laughs> people are going to laugh if they know me because I always talk about it. But my Little League, you know, I won, uh, I, I, we won the we won the city championship in the league, and I was pitching, and I was, you know, I still have the trophy. 
Uh, <laughs> I, you know, and I, we won the city championship. Like, we were worse. It was almost like we were the worst team in the regular season, and then we won the playoffs. Nice. And part of that was because I could pitch all six innings in the playoffs. Because we only had a couple, we were a very young team, but yeah. except for me and the catcher. And I was left off the traveling team, mm. which was real frustrating because basically all my buddies made the traveling team. And I was, when you're in your third year, there, there were just different things that really were frustrating in that community that I didn't understand. And like, I don't know, maybe I wasn't supposed to be on the traveling team, but. I think it Maybe, is. but you got the trophy anyways. <laughs> yeah. So there's a win. <laughs> and then you said... He, I, I, I would get into, like, you know, I, I got into, like, you know, fights with other kids in the neighborhood and things like mm-hmm. that. But it was just... It, it, not, like, you know, just I, it just get into different locations with kids around there. It wasn't, like, anything super dramatic. It was just, you know, just... Probably, you know, just, I don't know, confusing things mm-hmm. that I didn't never really, you know, it was just, yeah. This is back in Duluth? Yeah, in Duluth, so. So then you go to U of M, Maine, to study journalism. I did. I, when I was in foster care. I remember picking up a memoir by um, Rick Bragg called All Over But the Shouting. My foster mom had in the basement. He was a journalist and he wrote about his upbringing. Just simple upbringing in the South, poor mom, alcoholic dad type of thing. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to say simple, it was just, you know, um, just kind of, and but he told the story very powerfully, and I had always kind of gravitated to writing, and so, like, that was what got me into college, because first few years in foster care were tough. Uh-huh. Um, it was a tough adjustment, and I wasn't thinking about college, and kind of that, reading that book kind of inspired me to kind of, like, pay a little more attention during English class, because I was terrible at math and science. I was not good at biology. I was not good at math. I was good at arithmetic, like in grade school, but that mm-hmm. was where it, my math skills ended. And so, like, basically, my reading comprehension got me in college. Otherwise, I would not have had the um, scores or whatever yeah, yeah. to get into. And that was good, you know. So a lot of writing talent. Um, reading comprehension is good. Yeah. No, I, I, it was was the way I could express myself. Yeah. But I wasn't very good at verbally expressing myself. Do you find it as, like, a good outlet for you? Um, yes and no. Um, there are times in my life that it's definitely been an outlet. Um, there are times, like, like now, I, I wouldn't call it maybe an outlet, but, like, like I'm a good, stable place in my life. Um, that hasn't always been, <laughs> that hasn't always been, situation mm-hmm. but like um I found I can express myself more completely um and also more confidently um I've always you know I guess I don't want to say always but it just 
lot of, you know, uh, um, trying to explain who I am or what my experiences were. Uh -huh. It's always uh, difficult to convey to other people. So like, wait, wait, so, so what happened here, you know? And I, I think I was telling somebody recently, an adoptee, um, recently about, you know, my experience. And it's like, I used to tell you the people I was adopted, like, an adoptee where I would tell them I was a foster kid. Mm -hmm. So like to me, I would never like say that I had both experiences in my childhood because like I felt like people wouldn't get that. Like understanding one or the other was difficult enough. Understanding them together would be um, mm. super difficult for people to understand. And that I kind of started being more confident about explaining that Kind of when Adam Crafter's story started coming out. Oh, yeah? And I felt like... That's pretty recent. Well, his story started coming out in the Dutchie world, what, three, four years ago? A little bit, yeah. Three, it was three, four years ago, I remember. But it started getting really big, like, Right, 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 right. Really, but in the Dutchie world, it was, like, starting to come out. Uh -huh. four years, and I remember in the Dutchie world, or Dutchie community, or whatever. And then I was like... Maybe like people like it was it was just like a, sh a shameful thing, you know. It was like a shameful thing. Like you didn't want to like talk about that with people, you know. Because being, being an adoptee or being a foster kid, both. I mean, in some ways, you know, yeah. in, in different ways, but both. Like you, could, you know, you, you know, you know, we, you like internalize things as adoptee and you internalize mm -hmm. things as foster kid. They're, Usually, kind of, they're kind of separate. I mean, I don't want to say separate, but they're, they're similar, but a little different. Are they different? They're very. They're, they're similar, but like it, I feel like my attachment was had more to, like more like racially and culturally type of things. Uh -huh. And I felt you know while my foster kid experience was a little more. I, Like, foster kids were seen for so many years as, like, just, like, really bad kids. Like, mm. just, just, it was like a, you were, like, bottom of the barrel type of thing, you know? It's like, when you're at school, whatever, everybody knows you as a foster kid, you know what I mean? You can't huh. have him over, <laughs> you know what I mean? You can't hang out with him, or you can't, you know, and just, like, uh... Like, the parents would say that about you to their kids? Um, Is that how you felt? Yeah, like there's, especially in the communities or like, I, I I don't even say maybe with the, it was out in the country, so there was like a bar. And a but it's like a much smaller right, but, population. But, but like foster kids are usually they're coming from real traumatic backgrounds. A lot of them. right, yeah. So like in our home, there was Native American kids, there was Samoan kid, there was you know some multiracial kids from that background, and you know, it, it was a diverse group of kids coming from right. real, real, um, difficult traumatic background. And so you have issues usually. <laughs> and so like, um, so first, you know, you get kind of labeled as, um, bad kids, especially mm -hmm. like kind of before the narrative of those stories started to change. You, you were just bad. You were just bad kid. That, right. that, that was, that was, that was all to it. That was like the baseline. <laughs> yeah, well, that was all to to your story. Yeah, yeah, You're just a bad kid, you know what I mean? You got problems. And, like, now uh, foster care has become, like, a huge um, 
political social justice topic of conversation in this country about mm-hmm. changing the system and that um, so like experience that people are more um, confident about coming out with experiences um, mm-hmm. in foster care like issues that you dealt with um, that you know we dealt with and um, not being stigmatized by them yeah yeah or you know and so like so I feel like there were a little, in terms of, like, what I felt, you know, at times ashamed about, they were slightly different. Um, mm-hmm. it's, they come from similar places, but uh, they're, they're slightly different. Do you think that they overlapped while you were living in uh, north of Duluth in the, in the northern part of Minnesota? What do you mean overlap? Your adoptee, uh, your identity as an adoptee versus your identity as a, as a foster kid. Was it compounded when you moved north? Hmm. I'm sorry. So, like, are you saying like, uh, were there adaptive issues in foster care, or no? Yeah, yeah. Sort of. Um, so you already have like an adoptee identity, and then you go into foster care, and you're saying that there are different. Yeah. Racially, it was difficult because we, um, we were like, oh. We were like, we were, I don't know, uh, we were diverse foster. Well, so, yeah, yeah, like, mix of kids. Probably, I've been. I think I can make this statement: is it was probably the only group home that routinely housed children of color in Northern Minnesota, just because like there wasn't that many children of color, mm-hmm. and at that time period, like eighties, nineties, they had foster care for like twenties. They were well known in our county, St. Louis County. Um, maybe only one is would be because I don't quite have them, but it would be a very small number of homes that had like teeny house children of color, and we had identity crises across the board. <laughs> Uh, you know, wait, so wait, like, I wasn't like I, I I wasn't the most confused one in that. <laughs> like I'm not gonna like, at this time. I'm not gonna go into other other kids' experiences as much or in detail. But I will say I was not like I was like middle of the pack confused, and that's mm-hmm. a pretty strong statement. Considering like we had for you know just any show in color like northern Minnesota, it was confusing. <laughs> confusing place to grow up in and frustrating place to grow up in you know whether you're multiracial Native American kids had you know a bunch of issues you know from the you know in their environments and their you know but it was yeah but in terms of identity it was difficult because I was the only Asian in the foster home okay and so like we we were you know we, there was you know experience, you know, we would, uh, yeah, so we, (laughs) there was lots of, you know, you know, uh, how should I put it, fights, (laughs) things like that, um, uh, Were you close with any of the other foster kids, or was it mostly? Uh, I mean, like, I I was at the time, I still, like, I'm friends with some of them on Facebook, you know, um. But yeah, I mean, we, I, I was the first kid and, you know, 
I believe, if I remember correctly, I was the first kid in their 20 years to go to a four-year university. Oh, wow. So that's about how difficult the foster care experience is. Like, in terms of statistically. Yeah, yeah. You just... When you, if you, like the chips if you are stacked against familiar it. with the foster care, like, like they throw a lot of statistics yeah. and they're, they're real. <laughs> like, um, mm-hmm. there's reasons for them. But, yeah, so, you know, when I went to college, um, I, I kind of, you know, um, I didn't really keep in touch with uh, my foster home. Um, Part of that, the real main reason is I kind of reunited my adoption family. When I went to college, I was older. Um, mm-hmm. I was in college, like, and so, like, we had that commonality of, you know, they could, um, they kind of came in the picture towards, you know, even, you know, just college, helping out with college things. And I could use them as a source of, you know, college references. Mm-hmm. Because I didn't really know the process or whatever it is. So, yeah. um, so that was part of it, is I gravitated kind of back to my adoptive family. And mm-hmm. so, yeah. so you kind of rekindled that relationship a little bit? A little bit. I mean, it wasn't, it was like a, like, I was in my early 20s, I didn't, you know, hanging out at home wasn't really, you know. For sure, yeah. Where, yeah, <laughs> so with my family, it wasn't really what, you know, I wanted to hang out with my friends, so like, uh. But, like, like, I'd come home for the holidays and things like that. Okay. So like, we were, like, yeah. We we did uh, reconnect. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. And then at 23, do you initiate contact with your birth mother again? Mm-mm. She wrote to me. She wrote to you. Yeah. I didn't get it until I was 24. So okay. Later, but she had wrote it in 2006. I didn't get it until 2007. What'd she write? Um, very, uh, um, I'm not going to go into specific which but it was very painful, like, it, she, she really poured her emotion out, mm-hmm. and the pain of, um, you know, kind of, you know, feeling just, all the feelings that we know that, you know, birth mothers uh, would, would uh, go through very, you know, um, it's a crap word, like, regret, like very, very powerful emotions. She's pretty strong writer as well, um, I would assume, like from, you know, I've had it. Yeah, like, and she's, she really poured out her emotions to me. Mm-hmm. I, um, I ended up not writing to her back at that time, so, um, I think it was two letters. It was two letters at that time. So, like, one came, and then another came a few months later. Or she wrote one a few months later, and I didn't receive both of them until, like, 2007. So you received both of them at the same time? I think so, if I remember. Did you get them from, like, Children's Home Society again? Yeah. Okay. I think my Children's Home Society contacted my adopted parents. So, my parents, my adopted parents. Um, mm-hmm. And they sent them to me. I was in Vegas at the time. So, like, 
that you're... It's... So you had left. You had left U of M and went to Vegas? Uh, this was in 2007, so, like, I was done at the U of M in 2005. Uh-huh. Um, 2007, yes, I had, was in Vegas for pretty much all summer. What were you doing out there? Playing poker. Playing poker? So that's why I... was the main reason why I quit um, college. School? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, in 2005, so... So you're just doing that professionally? Yeah. I, nice. Played about ten years professionally. Wow, you're a pretty good poker player, then, huh? <laughs> um, yeah, like it was. Uh, yeah, I like most of my life I was in swings, uh, but I was for brief periods. I was considered, you know, pretty good. Pretty like, in the community. Like, yeah, yeah. Like um, within the poker community, mm-hmm. like I was considered pretty good. I'm confident in that. I don't, I don't know, like exactly. We were talking about yourself, like how I'm good. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I would say you know I'm pretty confident in the poker community in Minnesota and also the wider global community online would have considered me pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. So what got you into that? So I was uh, introduced to the game by. Uh, Couple baseball players, the U. Um, I was lived next to them in dorm. I lived in dorms freshman year. And they were big into it, like rounders. Like a lot of college kids were big into yeah. it. Yeah. Especially baseball players, like pitchers and things, because I don't know, they liked the game. Like, you know, the, the, it was like translated to the, <laughs> you know, pitching and the, I don't know, the mind games, the bluff, you know. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so they introduced um, the game to me. And I started playing home games, like, next year mm-hmm. um, at my buddy's house. So, like, a bunch of my buddies lived in a house. And so they would always have, like, home poker games. And it was pretty standard college yeah, yeah. thing to do. And so, yeah. like, but it became more than that. You know, I started going to the card club. Uh, Canterbury Park is the name of the card club. In, it's in Shakopee, um, which about... 30 minutes, 40 minutes south of the Twin Cities. Mm-hmm. So, like, I would uh, um, play cards at the casino and just went from there. And it, it was during a time period of poker where it was becoming very popular amongst my hot. age group, the yeah, college yeah. kids. And so, like, there was other kids at college that were playing and there were mm-hmm. other kids at the casino that were playing. And so, like, you had that this word, but like support group and so like it became it was like, like a social it, it was, thing yeah it was a social thing and it, 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 there was an avenue to being really professional at the time like mm-hmm. it was a legitimate way to make quite a bit of money at the yeah time. yeah uh, like it uh, and so it, it was a different time like poker now is the expectation is less I mean it's just you still make money you still love people making money but like it's at the time like in the this is just like really economy. popular uh, kind of, a lot of people could get money online like just easily like there was all sorts of shady things like net teller where you could just throw money online you didn't even have the money and you could throw it online you know like they could just yeah yeah <laughs> like 2000, you know this is before like 2009 where the economy and it's like so like there was 
abundance of money, gambling money mm -hmm. in the world is, and online. And online was blowing up at the time. And so um, it was just kind of, I got, it wasn't really planned, you know? It just happened. <laughs> there was like a lot of things during that time period in my life that became pretty crazy. That it, was, it wasn't like really planned out. It just kind of happened. Um, oh, yeah? And, uh, yeah. So I think... But yeah, I've ended up playing a lot online quite a bit. So when did you move out to Vegas? Um, I went pretty frequently, and like I think I started going in like two thousand five, pretty frequently. Mm -hmm. um, but I was out there two thousand seven uh, for the summer, and then. After again, like in 2010. So. How long did you stay out there for? Um, I, I didn't, like, it was just for a summer. Like, I would go there pretty routinely. Yeah. Um, yeah. From Minneapolis. Like, my home base was always Minneapolis, mm -hmm. but, uh, I, I only, uh, I, I had a girlfriend out there for, you know, that summer, so, like, that's why I was staying out there. Mm -hmm. Um, but normally I would, you know, for the, most of the time I was, um, back in, you know, in Minneapolis, just flying there, stay yeah, there yeah. for a week, you know, sometimes a few weeks, you know, just, uh, just playing poker and hanging out? Yeah, because, yeah. So you must have been doing okay, playing poker, pretty good, sounds, sounds about right? Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> it was, uh, it was, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, it was, uh, yeah. So when did you end up moving out here? Um... 2015, so it's been about two years now. About almost. two years? Yeah, so like in April will be you know, next month. Oh, all right. It'll be about two years official. You said you started getting a little bit more involved or at least identified more again with the adoptee identity after the Adam Crasper kind of story broke. Um, so I started getting a little more confident in telling my story. Okay. My, not my story, but my experience. Because you connected um, with that? Uh... Yeah, um, and partly that I think it was, like, maybe people would understand it, like, a little more, and I was, I don't know, I've just always been not really confident in talking about, you know, mm -hmm. experiences in my childhood. It was just very simple. I was adopted, or yeah. I was in foster care. Right. It wasn't, there was no in-depth, partly it's because I hadn't done any in-depth, like, I just, for the first, I don't know how many years of my life, I just did, went just kept going in life. I didn't, like, stop to think or try to stop to... I didn't really know anything about, like, really adoption or anything. Mm -hmm. um, like, you'll see, like, I wrote a paper, I guess, in college, like, 2004, and you'll see, like, adoptee elements. I talk about, like... Some uh, elements. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Talking about... More, like, racial identity stuff. Uh -huh. Like, Asian American... Like, I claim my Asian American identity pretty early. Earlier than your adoptee identity. Yes, it, which is I don't I don't I don't know if that's unusual, but it, 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 I no, I think my Asian American identity pretty like yeah yeah, but my adoptee identity I kind of like shied away from, and mm -hmm. the, that might like I had adoptee friends I I still have adoptee you know it's Minnesota it's pretty hard not to right how right. adoptee friends or know someone but it's not like you know we sit around and talk about adoption all the time exactly <laughs> especially like you know um, most of my friends were, were 
guys and whispers up. We were in our twenties and like we mm-hmm. talk about we talk about like Asian American stuff. And, like, sure. You know, but and it, it was something for me personally that I needed to go back and do to have a better understanding of myself and my experience mm-hmm. in terms of my adoption experience. And I don't know if everybody needs to do that, but it was just for me and. So, like, getting involved in the adoptee community and, like, actually being involved in the adoptee instead of just, like, knowing people in the community. Right. Um, like, understanding about adoption and consuming adoption information. Mm-hmm. You know, that started uh, about four years ago. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, like, it's confusing still. Like, <laughs> like uh, consuming that information and different people's experiences. Like, right. people will tell you one thing, another person will tell you something else. And, yeah. and how it fits into your own experience, too. Because, like, um, and so, like, it's taken me uh, four years to really start becoming, like, oh, I think I can, you know, start feeling more confident mm-hmm. talking about adoption um, in the community sense. Yeah, and yeah. And also personal experience sense. Because, I don't know, you know, it's a combination of just not being confident about talking about my experience, but also just, you know, not knowing, and it was kind of confusing. As sure. When I've, you know, I've talked to, you know, you know, a lot of people, and I, there wasn't a lot of experiences out there that, I, you know, they're similar, but like, our, like in terms of the disru- disruption in, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, childhood, and so like once those stories started becoming a little more public then I was like a little more confident and mm-hmm. then I started processing a little more too mm-hmm. for sure well and you know there's uh, I mean you're not the only one that's had disruption in their adoption experience or oh, their yeah. life or anything like that and I think the more people hear about those experiences you know the more confident they will also get in being yeah. able to share it too because I, you know you're not alone in in the fight that you've had for sure yeah, for sure for sure so four years ago you started getting involved? Yeah, like online and things like that. Like in terms of also known as here in um, New York City, uh, like this is the first in-person. In-person that, that, group? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, How'd you end up finding it? It's been great. Um, but, no, sorry, what How'd you, you end up finding AKA? Was it online first? I think online. I think online, yeah. It had to be online. Mm-hmm. It had to be online. But I, I went, yeah. But like when I came here, I knew about it. Oh, so you already knew by the time you got out here. Yeah, but I didn't know much about what it was. I mm-hmm. just knew it was an organization. Okay. You know, it's like a couple of things I tried to get involved with when I came here was collaboration um, from the Asian American side and also known as the adoptee. Yeah. And so what inspired the move out to New York? Um, girlfriend. Uh, <laughs> but I really, I, um, I really wanted to... Like, it was more than that, you know, just relationship, but... Yeah. Um, I really wanted to change my life. About four years ago, when I started getting involved in adopting stuff online, it's like, I really hit rock bottom. I was leading a very tumultuous lifestyle. <laughs> poker, like, just... <laughs> was it the poker even, thing? You don't even need, like, to use your imagination between poker and, like, lots... Was it, like, the end of rounders while we were on top? Yeah, yeah, and I hadn't... I, was living life like, 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 yeah, I was, I hadn't processed things that I needed to process. Like, I didn't. Oh, yeah? I, I just, I, I was, I was a wreck. Um, and when I, 
I really so I was in you know writing journalism and also nonprofit. Like I worked for this program called Upper Bound in college, mm-hmm. and it was helping youth, um, you know, or high school students go through the college admission process. A lot of them were like immigrant students or first kids in their family to go to college, so like they didn't have that support in their family. Like mm-hmm. their parents didn't know how to. Like you. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so like that was like a. I really, that was like a experience that I, I really like wanted to get back to because like that was like, like I, I wanted to get back to writing and opera because I felt like that was who I was. I wanted to go back and mm. kind of find out who I was because, I don't know, there, there are times it get blurred with the poker. <laughs> like, <laughs> poker's great and it just like, uh, that's your entire life. Um, it, it becomes, like, it just wasn't and after about 10 years of doing anything you started you know but I really wanted to get back to writing a nonprofit. Um, had a relationship mm-hmm. out here and in New York City writing a nonprofit, this is the place to be if you're writing a nonprofit, like in terms of you know opportunity in terms of like you can find what whatever your um, uh niche or sector that you want to yeah. you know your and so like I I enjoy working with I, I, I enjoy working and I hope to continue to work with, you know, um, families dealing with children in foster care or, you know, um, mm-hmm. kids in foster care themselves. Uh, and hopefully still be connected to, you know, Dati community and like the Asian American community, you know. So. Yeah. Um, just the w- different ways I identify, you know, mm-hmm. as a core, instead of just like, you know, like, you know, I'm a poker player, you know, <laughs> like this, this is the way, you know, that I truly identify and like, yeah, yeah. I hadn't really processed how I identified before. It was just kind of a huge. Well, so it sounds like you want to help other people who you identify with personally. Do you find that therapeutic for you, helpful for you too? Um, Helping sounds weird to me. I don't like I. I do want to give back to the communities. Uh huh. Um, like give back in a sense that like I received a decent amount of support in my um. um uh, you know, foster care experience. Like I got a scholarship, the Orphan Foundation of America, um, Casey Family Scholars, which is the Annie E. Casey Foundation, which is. One of the, one of the biggest, if not the biggest, child welfare agency in the U.S. Um, um, and so, like, I, 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 I felt like um, I, I definitely, in terms of writing a nonprofit, I, I felt like I, I wanted to give back, maybe perhaps opportunity to do what I could. Yeah. You know, what I mean, it doesn't mean like I can. Um, just do what I can to give back, and mm-hmm. like um, part of it, you know, is journey for myself as well. Um, yeah, you know, um, learning about myself and my experiences. You know, what's that's a huge thing for me now is just the mm-hmm. um, identity thing. And you know, yeah, man. Um, so well, that's good. It sounds like you're you're getting it together. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> slowly, slowly but surely. Starting um, to understand yourself a little bit better and everything mm-hmm. through the through the work. Yeah. No. Yeah. I. 
I think I, yeah, I have some, yeah, definitely through writing, hopefully, um, you know, being involved with some other creative stuff. Yeah, like, I true. like helping out in the, like, kind of the Asian American community too, so like, um, you know, different things out there, like, mm -hmm. for, you know, when I get time to support other people's projects or whatever, so. That's awesome. And so when did you start uh, writing back with your birth mother? Oh, so, yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm in virtual reunion with her now. Um, mm -hmm. Well, I see you got all these sweet gifts over here. Yes, yes. Uh, she sent me kind of a little care package. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, it was kind of... Uh, Surreal feeling going there to pick that up from the post office. Yeah. And opening it up and like, it's from my mom. Yeah. Know? Like, this is, this is from my mom, you know? <laughs> <laughs> my, my mom sent this to me, you know? And mm -hmm. I, you know, um. Felt pretty it, good. It was a different, it's a different feeling. Um, it's a, just, it was, you know, just having, it was, it's a different feeling. And yeah, so like I've been, uh, I, I have two brothers, um, my youngest brother, uh, just got out of the military. Oh yeah? Uh, so so he's pretty young then. Yeah, I, so he has to be early 20s, I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely early 20s. Yeah. Um, um, so, yeah, I'm, you know, we're, we're taking it, you know, we're taking it slow. I think that's one sure. thing I've learned in my life. I've did everything fast or felt like I had to do everything fast like, mm -hmm. um, just like I had to uh, so this city I just want to you know take it slow and let it you know get absorb each other you know yeah. before it's like oh I gotta go to Korea tomorrow and you know, <laughs> you know just we'll, we'll take it as you know how they you know we're kind of struggling through it like I'm sure everybody mm -hmm. does in terms of the community I'm not proficient in Korean or anything and so like he uses the app for the English. My little brother, it kind of is kind of the translator. He uses the oh, yeah, language yeah. app to translate what I tell him in English, and I use the app to <laughs> translate. But it's pretty funny when he sends me like a little like a like a emoji or something like that. Yeah, like, oh, a little caca emoji. I was like, yeah, I'm familiar <laughs> with that, you know. And I, I guess it's, it's, just, it's just yeah. Emojis in international language. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jerry just send a poo emoji back. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm very, very hopeful and just you know continuing a relationship this time. And it was it was unexpected. Um, I will say um, this last reunion because I thought I had lost contact. Did she reach out to you again? Well, no. Um, I will say I I had a standing kind of request with the adoption agencies, but be, so like in two thousand thirteen, I we exchanged letters and I was going to go to a home to home thing through Eastern. Uh -huh. I think that's what it's called, like home to home visit or something. Where you like go stay with the family. I think so, but like they were going to connect me and my mom, mm -hmm. but at the last minute, I kind of had it back out. I didn't, I didn't have enough finances at the time to do it, and 
I was still feeling like I wasn't ready to meet her yet. Like, I wasn't like... Like emotionally? It, it wasn't emotionally. It was in a sense, but it was more like my life had... I, I didn't I, I didn't feel like confident in meeting her. And like, mm. as in I didn't want to worry her about uh-huh. the state of my own life. And, like, I wanted to, uh, you know, yeah, it was like, be more stable place in my own life. Yeah, yeah. You know, and just have things that I could talk to her about besides this horror story <laughs> of, uh, you know, this, yeah, this horror story. And so, like, I didn't want to, like, you know, and I don't know if that was... I don't know if that was brave for me to feel like that. I, I, I don't know, but that was just... I remember feeling very... You know, I, I didn't have enough money. didn't have, you know... It was, it was a tough time, so I ended up backing out at the last minute. And so then you fast forward, like, a year or two, I, I put in a standing order, you know, standing request with them to recontact with her, but they never got back to me. And, mm. like, I contacted them again. Like, I don't know if that was, like, me backing out about it. They were like... Okay, forget this right, guy. Right, yeah. You know, like, we went through all the, like, oh, we're not gonna, whatever. And maybe the political climate, I don't know, is... Yeah. I don't, I, who, I, knows? I, who knows what's going on. But, um, so I, I will say, I, when one of her letters, I got it translated, and I didn't realize I had an address and a phone number. Mm. And one of the letters, it, it, it's in, it was like... It's one of the pictures, and so like I found a way to contact her. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and that is you know we, we skyped once, and, you know. So like it's but it's it, it's a yeah. I I I I'm pretty confident. Like just emotionally, me and her like ready. You know, like we just we really want to. We both are on the same page in terms of just emotion, wanting to have a relationship and be in each other's lives. That's and, awesome. Yeah, and so like it's just a matter of going through the struggle of reconnecting over time and space and mm-hmm. communication barrier. And, like, yeah, but like um, we're, we're we're working it out. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you have any uh, contact with your your adoptive sisters um, that you grew up with? I think I'm. Yes, uh, I think I'm going. To, I'm trying to. I'm trying to reconnect with my younger sister, who's out here on the East Coast. Mm-hmm. Um, we've always had a pretty good relationship. It just when uh, ups and downs with my parents. Yeah, of course. Um, through it, like it puts a strain. It, a little awkward for them. <laughs> you it's know? natural. Yeah. yeah, yeah sure. So, like, I mean, that's actually, that's one of the things I think that gets lost is some of how it affects siblings. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever, you know, uh, kind of the sibling perspective. Yeah, of course. Um, but I am trying to really reconnect her. Um, I have a son, so I don't know if I mentioned that. Was like, he, <laughs> yeah. he, his one year is next month, and I was going to... Oh, congrats. Uh, yeah. But, so, like, we, we've... Maintain some contact. Um, I, I'm not. It, it's. I guess my older sister. I'm not like estranged from. Mm-hmm. But we just don't communicate. Lost like, contact. 
Yeah, like we just don't communicate that much, and maybe yeah. it's just like I went to a wedding, and like so I think it's just you know maybe it's just just like one of those relationships like there's nothing in like keeping yeah, a yeah. relationship apart, but it's just kind of like sure. maybe one doesn't know it's just kind of awkward because of you know. Um, situation with my, you know, Because of your history. Yeah, and so, sure. like, it's just the matter of one of us reaching out to the other. And so I have, yeah, a couple family reunions I'm trying to, like, <laughs> slowly, and they're, they're different, they're different dynamics. And, exactly. Uh, but, yeah, and a lot of it has, you know, I definitely have my son in mind. Um, sure. For both of them. Well, how's, uh, how's your immediate family doing? Uh, good. Um, yeah, like I said, he's, son's gonna be a year. Yeah. What's it like being a dad? New father still. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, I guess, there's a couple things to that, and, like, it's just the normal stuff, um, adjusting to being a dad, uh, like, it was, it took a few months. It, like just the routine, getting getting into it, but like it, he's mm-hmm. he's something like another personal connection that like I needed. I, mean, I don't know, like everybody needs it, but like I needed it. That was right for me. And, yeah. Like, just having that connection with him, every, you know, every day, uh, you know, he's made me a morning person. That's what I tell people. Like, he's the best in the. Did morning. he give he's you laughing, a choice? <laughs> He has a, you know, he's, he's got like a little personality already, he laughs a lot, he's very um, personable with people, like, you uh, and so, like, yeah, but, like, it's it's also been a learning process, too, for me. Sure. Like, it was something that I was, I'm sure there's other adoptees, that, uh, people in general that go through, like, it reservations but like oh am I gonna be a good dad or like am I ready for this I think that's just a natural parenting thing yeah for sure for sure for sure um but it was like for me it was you know at the time I hadn't reconnected with my mom at the time so like Mm -hmm. this was my first real biological family yeah um, experience yeah you know and uh uh, it's pretty powerful for you yeah like yeah um very very powerful very powerful and yeah so very powerful he's doing good yes little guy yes he's yeah (laughs) yeah um um, and what about the mom well uh like she's she's wonderful um she's wonderful uh the like he's a mama's boy too (laughs) Maybe, maybe the, it's like his dad he's a mama's boy yeah. <laughs> um but yeah he doing good yeah so but yeah so like he um he, he has a you know older brother and so mm-hmm. like both dynamics as being a uh, stepfather and, and having a son is been a new experience for me yeah yeah and but I also, you know, have been able to draw upon some of my own experiences. Mm-hmm. And it's just been... <laughs> Sounds pretty good. So what's next on the horizon here? Um, 
I'm going, actually going back to school. Oh, yeah? Where are you going to go? Uh, in CUNY. I don't know which one yet. Um, um, so, to get my bachelor's degree. I didn't get my bachelor's degree. So, finish it up. Yeah, yeah. So Journalism? I'm, I'm, I don't know. Um, probably, it, it depends. I have, to, I have to figure that out once they let me know which one mm-hmm. I'm accepted to. Um, then I'll start figuring out that. It, 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 but in terms of bachelor's degree, it might be just communication or whatever. Because yeah, I'll yeah. Um, um, get my bachelor's degree out of the way and then maybe mm-hmm. look at um, other schooling. But it definitely is going to be non-profit type of work and writing. Um, I don't know which order or whatever, but like I'll be involved definitely community-based you know, type of things for uh, the future. That's awesome, man. Yeah. That's good. Sounds like you're on the right path. Yeah. 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 Uh, <laughs> well, I, yeah, I don't know. If the, yeah, it's just it, it, it's, I'm, you know, I my friends still call me and they're like ah, yeah, life is different, but like you know, just how, like, happy I am. It's yeah. just like, I'm just, like, um, just, I'm happy with, and just different connections and mm-hmm. experiences that, are, you know, kind of had started form here in New York. New, different, new life. New life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right, man. Well, it sounds good. Sounds like you're happy. Uh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Doing good here in New York. That's important. Yep. Where can people find you online? Can people find you online? Uh, I, I don't have like a Twitter or anything right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a Twitter account. I just deleted it. Just, um, but, um, nowhere online. Like I'll be around. Like you know, my my writing. I'll try to, you know, kind of share my writings and things like I, I don't write a ton right now it's just like when something comes up I wrote a fatherhood piece recently and uh, you know there might be some other stuff that you know related to right now my writing is mostly related to um, my experience or like an element of my experience and mm-hmm. hope uh, you know or like an Asian, Asian American stuff so like when the opportunity arises so like where can people find that anywhere uh yeah, I just used to share it on Facebook. <laughs> like a link, you know what I mean? So um, Facebook. I, like, I've, I've written for, like, the Chronicle of Social Change, which is a uh, child welfare um, uh, public online publication in, based in California. Um, yeah, I just wrote for Foster Focus. Um, and, like, you know, it's just, I, I write for variety. Like, there's no, like, one place. It's just, like... Uh, just trying to fit in, like, you know, something that's going on that I feel like is important. Like, for Foster Focus, I wrote a little bit about my own experience and about how there's a need for more resources, support for um, fathers, um, early parenthood, Mm -hmm. um, for children aging out of foster care. And why being a parent is (laughs) a challenging experience and, like, you know, the different... issues that they have with parenthood, especially early parenthood, and on top of everything else, and what, getting resources and things for that. So, like, I, that's kind of, like, my main, is when uh, something comes up that I feel is, can contribute. All right. Well, cool, man. Thanks for sitting down and talking. Okay. How was it? What do you think? Good. You feel good? Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, I was like, oh, I, sometimes you're like, oh, I don't know what to say, you know? <laughs> I guess it just comes with experience. Like, That's all right. Yeah. You'll get better at it. Yeah. <laughs> all right, thanks, man. And that was my episode with Robbie Regal. I hope you guys enjoyed that. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed that conversation with Robbie. I think he's a very interesting dude. I like Robbie. He's a nice guy. He's nice for inviting me over his place and opening up to talk about his very interesting story about his life and all the stuff that he's uh, been through. So you guys got a sense of that. You guys got a little sense of Robbie right there. Okay, so if you see Robbie, tell him you said hi. If you're in the New York area, come down to an AKA event. He might be there, along with a lot of my other guests that have been on the show and future guests that have been on the show that want to share their stories. Uh, listen, I want to thank you guys for taking the time this month to check out The Rambler. Uh, wherever you check out the, the Rambler podcast, whether it be on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Podbean, Slacker, wherever it is that you find your podcast source. So thank you guys very much. If you like this show, if you are a fan of The Rambler, if you really enjoyed it, I highly encourage you guys to leave a recommendation for the show, leave a review on Google Play, on Apple, iTunes, podcasts, on Podbean, wherever it is you get your podcast, wherever the source is that you're hearing my voice from right now, go ahead and go to that site, uh, leave a review. Leave a uh, rating. Hopefully, it'll be five stars. Just leave five stars if you can. And uh, recommend it to a friend. Sharing is caring. Okay? Uh, Check it out. Enjoy that. I love it. I love you guys. You can always like my page on Facebook. I'm at facebook.com slash TheRamblerADHD. I share a lot of stuff there. I share more even on Twitter. And you can follow me on Twitter at TheRamblerADHD. Like I said, you can always subscribe to me on iTunes or uh, Apple Podcasts, as it is known now on Google Play or on Podbean, uh, where I am hosted and stuff. And again, share with share with friends and family. If you like this show, if you want to hear this kind of stuff. Oh, I should also recommend to you guys, I don't know if you're aware of this, uh, that I was actually interviewed and shared my story on a show called Adopties On with Haley Radke. And you can check that out. I, I believe it's also on uh, iTunes. I know for a fact it's on iTunes because I'm subscribed to it. I am subscribed to uh, Haley's podcast, uh, which you can definitely check out. Uh, and I think it's on Google Play and Spotify and all those other things. Uh, and, and I'm there. I'm there. I talk a lot about other things like uh, my story, which you don't typically get to hear the uh, my involvement with also known as with Holt Camp and all these other things. Uh, speaking of also known as again, like I can't shut up about shut up, Mike. Uh, they are having their annual summer kickoff barbecue. I, I don't. I wouldn't describe it as a kickoff. It's more of a closeout for 20, 2016, 2017. The year. The year. The past year's activity. Twenty sixteen and twenty seventeen. The annual summer barbecue, which is going to be June tenth. June 10th, 2017, from noon until about 3 p.m. It's in Prospect Park, Brooklyn. If you're in the area, come check it out. Come say hi to me. Come say hi to all the other people. It's a very family-friendly event. There is a, a barbecue, and, and you can meet a lot of cool people and adoptees and families of adoptees. Yeah, and another the audience for this show, you, you, 
I do it for you, the people. That made it into a president's speech. Can you believe that? Insanity. Anyways, listen, I want to thank you guys again for listening. Uh, thanks to, uh, and especially thanks, I want to thank this episode and dedicate this episode to uh, the, the team that I ran the Ragnar with. Can you believe that? I ran a Ragnar. So first I want to thank uh, my college buddy and the guy who roped me into this thing, Rich Moy, Richard, Richard Moy. Thank you for uh, roping me into this. He's honestly the only person I knew going into this race of our 10-person team. Everybody else was a stranger, and uh, I, I didn't initially really want to want to do something like a Ragnar, kind of like how I don't want to do a marathon. Uh, but all Rich took was him Facebook messaging me saying, hey, we have an open spot on our Ragnar team. Do you want in? And I just said, yeah, sure. Not really thinking about it, but it turned out to be one of the, uh, the most fun and rewarding experiences of my life. I really had a great time uh, doing it, and I got to thank Rich for kind of looping me into this thing. So thank you, Richard. Uh, he, <laughs> he, like me, hates when I call him Richard because I hate being called Richard because that's not my name. But I also hate being called Michael because I always think I'm in trouble when somebody says uh, my full name, which he felt as well this weekend. But I, I like to jest. I jest with him. I also want to thank uh, Joe the team captain for putting this thing together. That guy is ridiculously fast. I, I can't compete. I'm a pretty fast runner, I like to think, but yeah, he's he's insane. And he's a, a great guy for driving the van and organizing this whole thing and captaining the team. He did a great job. And the, and the end song is going to be dedicated to him because, uh, because that's happening. Also, uh, Mike Kaitowski, you know, I don't know. I don't think he's officially the uh, the assistant team captain, but I'm going to call him the assistant team captain. He was the primary navigator for most of the race, and he kicked off the race on the first leg. So thank you, Mike, for being awesome and having a great sense of humor the whole time. Uh, also, I'm going to thank uh, Sarah for putting together the most ridiculous Google spreadsheet I've ever seen in my entire life, uh, including at work. And if, if the people at my job were half as uh, intense about their work as they are you were about this Google spreadsheet and your positive attitude, then uh, work would be a lot more fun. Work would be a lot more fun. I'm not, gonna, I'm not even going to dance around that. Uh, Vanessa, I'm going to thank you for being uh, the person next to me digging your knees into my legs while I was trying to sleep uh, the entire race and for stealing my headlamp. Well, almost stealing my headlamp. I, I found my other headlamp, and that was great. I'm going to thank... I'm going to thank John, the other guy who uh, mostly sat in my row to my right. He was awesome. Thanks for putting up with me sitting next to him uh, the entire race. And, uh, you know, I feel bad because he had this jump seat in the van where everybody in the back of the van from the center to the back of the van needed to get out on. So anytime he was trying to sleep, but somebody needed to get out for any reason, it was like being in the aisle seat of a plane. And anytime the the guy in the window seat had to go to the bathroom, he had to get up. But there were like six people in that window seat. And I could understand how that that could get annoying. So thank you, John, for being very accommodating and a super nice guy and laughing at, uh, I think, I think he was laughing at most of my jokes when he was awake. Uh, Shiraz, who, uh, the team is named after bodies too hot. I appreciate you. You are amazing. You are a very funny guy. You are the star of many boomerang videos on this race and I appreciate it. 
Margo, you are fantastic. Uh, thanks for being another joy of the van, sitting in the back, being an amazing person, and uh, just being another positive spirit. Kellen, uh, you are fantastic as well. I really appreciate all the hard work and support that you gave the team. You really motivate everybody. You're fantastic as well. And uh, you probably aren't listening to this, but I appreciate it anyways. So, in all in all, thank you everybody on the Ragnar team. You guys are awesome. I had a great experience doing it, even though I said I was never going to do it. Uh, this is a team event. Like I said, I'm probably not going to do a marathon. A marathon, uh, I'm not usually into into running more than 10 miles. And uh, usually when I do a half marathon, at the 10-mile mark, I'm like... Oh, thank God, I only have three miles to go. This is terrible. So I can't imagine doing it for another 16 miles. That that sounds that sounds miserable. It sounds absolutely terrible. Uh, but this is fun. It was fun. It was a good team event. It was probably one of the hardest things I've done um, so far in my very short running career. But I had a great time, and it was mostly, uh, actually it was all due to the team that I had. Uh, it was a great van. It was a great experience. And despite the fact that it was... 200 miles in 36 hours with 10 people. It was fantastic. I had a good time. We were all uh, hurt, uh, especially towards the end. I am definitely in a load of soreness and pain, but I feel like it was worth it. So thank you, everybody, uh, and, and happy Mother's Day. Thank you to my mom. Thank you to all the moms out there. We all appreciate the work you do collectively, and uh, and thank you. Thank you. So uh, in honor of my Ragnar team, I'm going to uh, play the unofficial Ragnar theme song for Cape Cod for uh, Team Bodies Too Hot, Team Crutch, uh, and that is Chance the Rapper's Up All Night. I hope you guys have a great month. I will talk to you next month in June when I'm sure it's going to be so hot you're going to want to die. So enjoy this before, you know, the end of the world. I will talk to you guys next month. Adios. Everybody outside wanna pull up outside all night though. Everybody high five, everybody wanna smile, everybody wanna